guys, welcome to Rankin Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And on this episode, uh, filling in for Quincy is uh, longtime series regular Sarah Gailey. How's it going? It's going fantastic. How's it going with you? It is going pretty good. We, um, I feel like mostly what we've been making our way through uh, season one of the Great British Baking Show. It has been a joy and a pleasure. Um, every time I'm tired, I just am like, hey, what if we watch some nice British people bake at each other? That's like that's like all I want, really, is just nice British people. And, and especially when contrasting it with like American reality TV, the stakes are pretty low. And you can tell that the, the producers aren't whispering like, kill for me, and like <laughs> handing the contestants a knife to like foment... Uh, hatred amongst them i never once hear that like rattlesnake noise on <laughs> <British Bake Off. laughs> oh my god there's totally a rattlesnake noise yeah 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 rupaul's drag race loves it by the way i think yeah, more emmys for the sound designers on rupaul's drag race because it's incredible work that they do man honestly speaking of rupaul's drag race so um with the dumb nerd shit i've been uh, up to this week uh so i've <sighs> I've fallen from the path of righteousness, and I have gotten Overwatch, which I think is my destiny as a queer non-binary kid. It was only a matter of time. Yeah, it was only a matter of time, and uh, I was watching... So I main Mercy, who is the, like, looks like a Valkyrie flies around healing people, uh, and I was looking at a YouTube video about, like, how to play Mercy, and, like, how to do well as Mercy, and... The lady making the video for How to Play as Mercy says, if you can't heal yourself, how in the hell are you going to heal anybody else? Can I get an amen up in here? And it was like, yes, this is... This is the intersection of all of your interests and personality segments. Absolutely. So Sarah, what ghoul shit have you been up to this week? I have been reading uh, for the first time, which took me way too long to get to, We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Yes. I finished that... uh, Time doesn't make any sense anymore. I want to say yesterday, maybe the day before. Mm -hmm. And it it was fucking incredible. I don't need to tell you that her prose is brilliant. Um, And I was really struck by the representation of how comforting isolation can be when you are mentally ill or traumatized. Yeah. Um, A thing that I love about her work is that, that the endings are happy endings for the characters who have been driving toward them hardest. Right. And and this is sort of makes it a companion piece for The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, again, the main character, they get the thing they want, technically, and anybody else looking at it would be like, what a sad, horrible ending. And it's like, no, no, it's all worked out perfectly. Yeah, all according to plan. Um, yeah. I will say that the other ghoul shit that we both have been consuming uh, the last 48 hours has been Fudge. The fudgening. Jeez, gentle listeners, we have been in the midst of a holiday dessert apocalypse. We're currently recording this surrounded by mountains of fudge um, that we are giving people who we care about and love and want to intimidate as Christmas presents. Um, We've got white chocolate peppermint, chocolate raspberry, Mm -hmm. coffee cocoa, and chai latte fudge it is a chernobyl of holiday spirit tell them how much so much 
Tell them the quantity. Brag for me. I, 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 all right. So to brag for Sarah, the, the amount of um, holiday uh, fudge uh, Sarah specifically has made, and then also Christina and I have helped package and put into tiny, cute uh, wrappers for people. Uh, 80 pounds. 80 goddamn pounds, which translates into roughly two Tinkerbells of, of fudge. Tinkerbell is so patiently waiting for her portion of this fudge. She is sure that she will get some. It's been like watching Dr. Frankenstein in this fucking house, is watching Sarah during the process of how to make uh, roughly a ballerina's worth of fudge. <laughs> I think somebody on Twitter said uh-huh, at least uh-huh. three toddlers worth of fudge. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's what we've been doing, which also making holiday... Now, and here's the thing. I am not normally a big fan of Christmas, um, I think on this podcast I have uh, sometimes uh, mentioned that I'm not a big fan of Christmas. I think I might have to eat a little bit of crow. I have not hated this month so far. I love Christmas so much. How much? I love it so much. <laughs> I love giving people presents. Right. And well, like most of the year you have to have a reason to give people presents, but not during the month of December, motherfuck. You get presents whether you like it or not. I, real fear in my heart. Oh, it's as you say this. It's fucking the, the Yule. It is the season. Y- Yule be sorry? C plus. Uh, yeah, that's not my best work. Because um, like normally I'm kind of a Halloween stalwart, which obviously on this podcast we are um, predictably really into Halloween. Um, and I think this has been, yeah, jerk off motion. Uh, I think this has been a bone of contention between us has been, um, I, sorry, Tinkerbell just snored behind us. That was the greatest thing that's ever happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Christmas now, and Christmas is uh, great. Next week we're, uh, Quincy and I are going to be doing the, uh, our, uh, holiday special for Rankin Vile where we do, um, we did it last year with, uh, Christmas horror movies. There are a fuckload of Christmas horror movies specifically. So edgelord. I'm sorry. I'm tired. Oh, uh, I'm yeah. I'm just like, yeah, we get it. Like, uh, it's not so jolly after all. What, what if Santa but evil? Yeah. Well, and I think... Uh, Christmas itself is already a home invasion horror story, okay? Just like, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like the big one that everybody uh, name checks is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Mm-hmm. That movie is shit. Mm-hmm. It's fucking shit. Mm-hmm. It has a really cool, iconic cover... Have you seen this cover for Silent yeah. Night, Deadly Night? Yes, I have, in fact, been on the internet. Right, yeah, with the arm disappearing down the chimney with the axe. Uh, honestly, best Christmas movie of all time, and I would say one of the most underrated horror movies of all time, Black Christmas, 1974. I would make you watch it, but I I almost don't know that you would enjoy it. I'm going to bring up the intersection of uh, Christmas movies and horror movies and things that you have to convince people are in those genres mm-hmm. with um, a conversation that Ryan and I had in a dream... <laughs> pretty shortly after we met, wherein Ryan succinctly mm-hmm. convinced me that Die Hard, classically everyone's favorite Christmas movie, sure. is also a horror movie. And I've been agitating for us to do Die Hard on this podcast since then. Which, honestly, Dream Me was writing checks, Reality Me's ass can't cash. I, I don't know that I could actually, that that would actually stand up to, to s- scrutiny. Is I hold you to it. Die Hard's a horror movie. Although, honestly, one of the movies we've done on the podcast is Gremlins, which is absolutely a Christmas movie, and I think we need to alter the uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie dialogue to be about, let's talk about fucking Gremlins as a Christmas movie. 
But then we have to talk about Gremlins. Gremlins is, is great. It's it's a it's a tall order. Gremlins is great, and so is Gremlins Two: The New Batch. So what movies are we talking about this week? So this week, the movies we're talking about. Uh, so the first one. Um, is the OG Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie from 1992, uh, featuring Kirsty Swanson as uh, the titular Buffy and not Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, Sarah, you have seen every season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have. You are. You would say that you are fond of it. Yes, absolutely. I uh, listen. <laughs> I also really like Harry Potter. There's a lot to be said about both but yeah i would say i would say you know i i enjoy buffy and i get the hundreds of thousands of references that you make to it on a daily basis absolutely which i mean obviously like christina and i met because of buffy i feel like you and i probably talked about buffy the first time we met i don't doubt it it's about 50 percent of what you discussed yeah there there yeah there's even odds um so the buffy the vampire slayer movie this was a movie that when i was a kid my mom and my brother and I would rent from Blockbuster Video and watch all the fucking time. Eventually, we got it on VHS because we rented it so much. And I think for me, especially at like a very young age, this was the greatest fucking thing in the world because, I mean, at the time, what, 1992, I was six years old. This was the first time I think I'd seen horror in a comedy context, really. Because, like, the scene with Paul Rubens, aka Pee Wee Herman, getting staked and then sort of wandering around for roughly five minutes going and like kicking the wall when i was a kid the funniest thing i had ever seen um and this movie is actually i would say pretty funny yeah i thought it was extremely funny um i watched it for the first time last night for this podcast Mm -hmm. i had never seen it before and i had completely drunk the kool-aid of um oh this movie is a bad movie Mm -hmm. because joss whedon from what I understand, uh, you know, wrote on his Zanga that he was real tore up about how his script was handled in the shooting. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, popular belief is that this movie blows and the show is the only good thing. And wow, I just believe that out of hand. Yeah. So we watched this last night and I was ready for it to be a pile of garbage. And uh, interesting news joss whedon was wrong about something uh as it happens joss whedon sucks butts yeah go fig and right and well and i feel like uh post everybody going hey wait a minute what if joss whedon's a shitbird (laughs) i feel like a lot of stuff that we take for granted like alien resurrection is bad because joss whedon doesn't like it and the the og buffy movie is bad because joss doesn't like it and all of these things now that we're kind of, the spell has broken on our cultural obsession with Joss Whedon, and now we're looking back at, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 1992, motherfucker, we've got Rutger Hauer as the big bad in this. He does not know which movie he's in, he doesn't know why he's here, but he's Rutger Hauer and we're happy to have him. We've got Luke fucking Perry, uh, hot dad on Riverdale, uh, as, you know, Pike. Oh my god, he's the hot dad on Riverdale. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't realize that was Luke Perry? Um, I need a minute. Oh, shit. Oh. Oh, you didn't realize that that was Luke Perry. I am all fucked up. You remember we were watching that, and I was yeah. like, who does he look like? Why do I know him? And you were listing all these obscure-ass movies that I was like, mm, nope, haven't seen that shit before. And I'm like, Terminal Bliss? You're like, no, I haven't seen Terminal Bliss. And then and you didn't say Riverdale? He's, well, because Riverdale is Twin Peaks 90210, basically. Archie's dad? 
infinitely more bangable than young Luke Perry. I just learned some stuff about you. Yeah. Yeah. That I want to fuck Luke Perry? We all want to fuck Luke Perry. Of course we want to fuck Luke Perry. Let's, what are we? Children? Well, of course we want to fuck well, Luke Perry. Well, and in Buffy, he's got this, like, James Dean steez going really on. He really does. I and mean, he cleans up his act at the end a little bit, mm-hmm. and it's just this moment of, like, oh my god, you shaved off that tiny patch of hair on your lower lip, and now you're a whole different kind of hot. It's, versatility is so important. Really? We it, learned that from Great British Bake Off. Exactly right. Uh, he should have come down the staircase uh, slowly, and the camera slowly pans up to reveal that he's shaved off his fucking gross little soul patch. And Buffy should have gone, wow, you look great, as he... I forgot to mention this uh, other ghoul shit that I've been watching. I watched um, mm-hmm. The Princess Switch, which is oh, a fuck. Netflix original Christmas movie this last week. And there is a scene in that in which uh, someone comes down some stairs in a ball gown... And the uh, prince looks at her and says, wow, you look, but then he can't even find the word great because she looks so great. I was yelling. That kind of rules, actually. That movie is a perfect film. Wait, does does she say, I know? No, she looks back at him and says, you look, and then he just says, thanks. All right, that kind of rules, actually. And then some maids giggle because they're standing under mistletoe, so they have to kiss. Like, listen, it's it's a perfect film. Yeah, yeah, it's a perfect, it's like... Uh, also, it's an indictment of capitalism, but we won't go into it. Wait, we're not going to go into that after it's, it's an indictment of capitalism? No, because then I would have to talk all about the Princess Switch, and that's not what we're here for. We're here for Buffy. Well... Tune in to my podcast, Sarah Gailey <laughs> Talks About the Princess Switch, for four hours at a time, once a week, uh, to learn more. Okay, but legit, legitimately, if you had like a Pepe Silvius-style conspiracy board about Netflix original movies, would listen to four hours of you talking about why um a christmas prince is actually a retelling of uncle vanya or something okay first of all we're not going to get into the christmas prince because i got angry shit to say about that movie right all right so og buffy right. OG buffy um, yeah so you've got so you've got luke perry mm-hmm. you've got paul rubens like fucking peewee herman as a, a, a vampire goofball stooge for rutger hauer was paul rudd too young to be in this movie Yes, he would have been too... Well, okay, he would have been, I think, in his mid-teens at this point. His first movie would have been three years later in uh, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Spiritually, I feel like he was in this movie. He, he kind of was. Yeah. Seth Green was in this movie, which makes him the only cast member to have been in both the Buffy movie and Buffy the Show as Oz. Um, we've got that. We've got... Fucking Donald Sutherland as uh, Merrick the Watcher. Now, apparently, according to the IMDb trivia page, uh, Donald Sutherland and Joss Whedon did not get along. Further credit to Donald Sutherland in my eyes. It speaks well of him. Uh, and apparently, like, they could not be around each other. And Joss Whedon is like, he was a dick. And Donald Sutherland was apparently very prickly to work with. Um, the thing is that he's Donald Sutherland. Yeah, like, what? You know, he can kind of be however prickly he wants exactly and so the movie um holy shit there's so much to say about this movie first off the dialogue in this fucking rules phenomenal i thought that it the especially the opening sequence where we're meeting buffy and her friends Mm -hmm. um the dialogue has the rhythm of a mammoth play i thought it was believable and immersive and just totally compelling and i could have easily watched Two and a half hours of just them walking around being teenagers. It was a delight. Shit. So you would watch a movie that was just these teenagers going about their day. Yeah, I know this is weird for Joss Whedon to hear 
and potentially believe, but people actually are interested in uh, the inner lives of teenage girls. Well, and this movie tells you over and over again that teenage girls are actually very stupid. And I just it just doesn't sell, which I think is part of what he was mad about with his script, because the script clearly wants me to believe that teenage girls are stupid and vapid and, you know, waste their time and have low priorities. Right. And unfortunately for that script the direction and the actors do way too good of a job of selling me on actually no teenage girls are smart and understand where their priorities are case in point buffy is a cheerleader and uh donald sutherland keeps on yelling at her that her you know trying to go to cheer practice or hang out with her friends is a waste of time and she's spending time on the wrong things um Mm -hmm. and the script seems to want me to believe that she should quit the cheer squad to go and be a vampire hunter right but actually her maintaining a well-balanced support network and not just dropping all of her priorities and life skills in favor of what this old man she just met tells her is important seems pretty good to me. So you're saying a, a pile of laundry that wanders into the gym and tells you to join uh, this two-person cult with him where all you do is kickbox all the time and never hang out with your friends and you mostly go to the cemetery a lot. And also he makes uh, unsolicited comments about your menstrual cycle. Yeah, I... All right, this is a thing that the movie could not save from the script, is the fact that Buffy has a spidey sense. Um, She can tell when vampires are nearby because she gets cramps. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to unpack there, but I think maybe we ought to just throw out the whole suitcase. (laughs) Yeah, it's mostly just, fuck you, Joss Whedon. Like, Like, really? That's what you're going to do for your teenage girl superhero character? Yeah, yeah. like, the movie wants you to believe that the teenagers are stupid, that Buffy, like, becomes a better person when she stops caring about vapid shit, like school dances and her social network and maybe going to college and... The thing is, yeah, she she is clearly not academically focused. Right. Whether or not she's academically gifted. It hasn't been a priority for her, as we can see in the film and in the script and the text. It's there on the page. Yeah. What she is gifted at is social organization and athleticism. She has a letter jacket <laughs> for her cheerleading. Yeah. Like, it's not her boyfriend's. It fits her. So if you've got a letter jacket, which they do give out for cheerleading, um, they did at my high school at least, and you are on all of these different organization teams and you understand the entire school schedule of dances and social events, mm-hmm. that is a lot of work that you have put in to developing your social support network, developing your skills as an organizer so that you have contacts and connections that will help you get places in life. And into your athleticism, I think that if she was a football player and a dude in this script... Mm-hmm. Donald Sutherland wouldn't be saying you need to quit the football team because this is more of a priority. Right. I think Donald Sutherland would be saying, oh, it's good that you're such an incredible athlete because it's going to help you kill vampires. Well, and the movie kind of wants to have it both ways, doesn't it? Because with Donald Sutherland, you get these scenes of him sort of coming up to her and being like, you're a fucking dipshit. You're stupid. You're frivolous. You're, you're the most undisciplined slayer I've ever had. And then also during his like noble death scene, he's like, you do everything wrong, but actually that rules and follow your own drummer or whatever. I mean, I think that Donald Sutherland's attitude toward Buffy in the, in this movie, Mm -hmm. um, it's a predecessor to Dollhouse. Like you can see Dollhouse on the horizon, right? Because what the script says 
that this powerful, important, smart man wants mm-hmm. is a woman who will do what he tells her is important and then go dormant until he needs her again. So you're saying this might this is also a Joss Whedon carrying around a photo of himself with the eye scratched out? Absolutely, and jerking off to it. Yeah. Um, I The whole thing where Donald Sutherland is born wise and his entire role and job in life is to guide young women to be the best that they can be by mm-hmm. teaching them what's truly important in life. Spin kicks. Uh, it's... I'm tired. <laughs> that said, this yeah. movie is great because it rebukes that. <clears throat> it does rebuke that. And I feel like the, this movie is so much smarter than the person who wrote it. Because again, like this, it's. It, I think it's the dissonance of what the script is telling you versus what is on screen it's a it's the megan fox in transformers problem but reverse yeah yeah right the script is telling you that buffy is stupid and vapid and the camera is telling you that actually she's pretty fucking savvy right in much the same way that it's like megan fox isn't taken seriously by dudes and she's a really good mechanic and the camera is telling you she's got titties and it's just like panning up her body and it's yeah i think that the moment that struck me most um, other than the opening scene where the dialogue is just super, super quick and sharp and, you know, these teenage girls are engaging in, frankly, like, Shakespearean levels of wordplay with each other. Oh, yeah. The moment in the beginning of the film when the girls are sitting in the diner and one of them says something shitty to another one and you see Buffy catch it instantaneously. There isn't even a moment of oh, she's just joking. It's like, oh, I know exactly what you're doing, which in the social dynamics of teen girls, there are layers of communication and conversation that are so hard to keep track of. That's the camera and the actress telling you this person is sharper than you're going to give her credit for. Shit, that's a really good point. And also because, I mean, honestly, there's a bit in here where um, one of her friends, played by Academy Award winner Hilary Swank, uh, who is also in this movie. Also, David Arquette is in this movie as a vampire. Deputy Dewey, the De- boy. Deputy Dewey origin story as a, as a young vampire in Los Angeles. Uh, and there's the bit where they find this, like, yellow uh, motorcycle jacket in the mall, and Buffy's like, hey, what if I got this? And Hilary Swank is like, yeah, that's so five minutes ago. And then later on, she's wearing it, and and Buffy's like, so five minutes ago? And she's like, what? It's retro. And it's like, okay, that's the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. Amazing. Also, incredible direction and camera work because Hilary Swank pops the color of the jacket when she says it's retro. One of their other friends says, yeah, retro, and pops her own color. And Buffy is pissed, but also pops her collar. That's such smarter direction than is in the goddamn script because you get to see where Buffy is compromising what she wants and what she feels in order to keep the peace among her friends. Well, and also with keeping the peace, I think you pointed out um, while watching it that where the fuck are Buffy's parents in this movie? There's a bit. All right, so... um, there's so Buffy's parents are what she's a, a latchkey kid basically and her parents are really uninvolved and there's one bit where she's been training in the cemetery with Merrick uh, and she comes home and her mother comes up to her immediately and goes do you know what time it is Buffy's like 10 o'clock and her mom is like oh great oh shit we're gonna be late honey we're gonna be late and then the husband comes and they just fuck off and so her parents are not in the mix I think that's necessary to the story you need Buffy to have parents who are neglectful not just so that she can get away with being out at all hours being a vampire hunter Mm -hmm. but also to give Donald Sutherland 
any chance of having success with her because you know he he walks up to her while she is just doing some flips in the gym sure as one does absolutely um she's doing all these great flips very impressive and he comes up to her in the gym and he's watching her and then he starts talking to her and she says oh are you a creepy old man like you know i don't want to talk to you but she doesn't run away and she engages with him quite a bit she yeah she talks to him she makes eye contact with him she considers what he's saying the entire time because there's no part of her that knows what an adult figure approaching her with positive and responsible intent would look like so why wouldn't she be fine with this so she responds to like creepy guy starts talking to her about going to the cemetery in her birthright with like oh i don't know maybe this is fine and that's a position that a lot of teens a lot of teen girls who have been abused or neglected find themselves in is you know you've got your teacher at school who is being inappropriate toward you and you don't recognize it as inappropriate because you don't have a good benchmark for what is appropriate. Right. And so Merrick is basically grooming her at this point. Absolutely. He's grooming her the entire time. The fact that she fights his attempts to socially isolate her are really great beats of her not giving into that grooming. Same with uh, toward the end of the film. Someone says to her, you're not like the other girls. And she responds, yes, I am. Fuck yeah. That is some fucking character right there of her not being willing to be put into her place by men who want to control her image and identity, which is a thing that uh, Joss Whedon would have probably bullied her off of a set for if she were one of his actresses. Yeah. Remember that time Joss Whedon uh, fucked over Charisma Carpenter for getting pregnant? I sure do. I sure do. And she could never speak out about it because she doesn't want to get blacklisted for shitting on the boy king. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Bad man, Joss Whedon. I say this, also, I, as previously discussed, completely fucking obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series, and Angel, and I, it's a problem. But I think, especially with this movie, it has, one of the other things that's really intelligent about it, uh, Buffy... I do not buy her uh, chemistry with Luke Perry. No, not one bit. I do buy her chemistry with her dipshit boy that is, like, the football guy that she barely is around. But, like, when she kisses him, like, they look like teenagers. Like, she's a kid. Well, I like that she's clearly actually into this football guy. Yeah. Like, he's a doofus. He's not malicious. He's a teenage doofus. So when his friend is like, hey, can I get a piece of that? You know, he doesn't handle it perfectly, and he doesn't really know how to handle her independence. Yeah. But I get them together. It makes sense. They have the same priorities. They have the same ideals. Well, he doesn't really know how to handle her independence in a way that season four of Buffy milked into a fucking full season of Riley going, but you make my my dick feel (laughs) fat. Because she can, like, defend herself. Uh, Okay, I will say this. Uh... OG Buffy in the film has got more chemistry with that little James Dean baby than anyone has ever had with Riley on the TV show. I think it's actually my favorite burn about Supernatural is that it's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer if every character was Riley. Oh. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Am I bleeding from that? Yeah, that it's. I don't know if I still hurt. have eyebrows. Like, I, when I read that, I had to sit down. Like, wow. it's the most brutal shit I ever heard in my life. Um, also, it's true. Supernatural is very bad. Um, but so, also, Stephen Root is in this movie as the principal, and I. So this movie, 
Also, this is another thing that I, I don't think Joss Whedon is... I can't tell if this is due to Joss Whedon's script or the director or what's going on. This movie is largely invested in owning the libs when it comes to um, political correctness and feel like feelings and feelings are stupid, feel good, like sort of self-help language is stupid, therapy language is stupid. And it's mean-spirited in a way I can't totally put my finger on. It's another case of it wants to have it both ways because there's some criticism of the fact that no one's acknowledging how traumatic and, you know, scary and bad everything is that's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, every effort that anyone makes to talk about feelings or to relate to children on their level is ridiculed. I almost kind of appreciate that, actually, that it's like adults fundamentally cannot... There's, there's a disconnect there that, like, you can try to bridge, you can try to understand kids and, and get on their level, but I feel like frequently, from a teenage perspective, it's disingenuous and weird when an adult flips a chair around backwards and sits down and goes, let's rap about vampires. That That is true. I also think that it's, uh... It's, I take issue with the fact that the film inherently critiques every instance of an adult trying to help a child mm-hmm. um especially because part of why we roll our eyes when an adult flips a chair around and says let's wrap around vampires is because of the fact that media has taught us to laugh at adults attempts to relate to kids instead yeah. of hey all right this adult's going to try and relate to you and it just doesn't work but you can find ways to communicate that you need help instead of just rolling your eyes and being like you don't understand oh shit so there's there's no middle ground between uh parents tr- uh trying to relate and looking like chuck e cheese animatronics and merrick telling you to get rid of all of your friends move into a shack and train exactly like there's yeah yeah um now, also, David Arquette in this, there's uh, this... Oh, bless. Man, he is just... So, first of all, I feel like he turns into an MRA at a certain point in the script. I think he's an MRA from the start. I mean, he's immediately saying, all oh, these women are bitches, but yes, I want to fuck them, which, I mean... Right. Which, sure, Joss Whedon, hi. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. Uh, but I think also there's a scene in here that I love so much, which is that... Uh, so, Luke Perry is buddies with David Arquette. Uh, David Arquette gets bitten by uh, Pee Wee Herman, and he's floating outside Luke Perry's window. I feel like Luke Perry has really underrated comedy chops. Yeah. Especially because in this scene, you know, he's just like, what are you, you're floating, man, come on. He's like, well, let me in, I'm hungry. And he's like, no, get out of here. And he's just like, it's such a nonchalant, like, this looks like a dirtbag whose dirtbag friend is a vampire. Mm -hmm. Just going, get away from my window, man. An issue that I have with the Luke Perry character in this film is that his redemption arc is, my friend is a vampire, so now I'm good. Where in the beginning of the film, he's the one who's saying, yeah, but, you know, like, he he is right there next to David Arquette saying, I hate these bitches, but also I want to fuck them. Right. It's a weird redemption arc, and I like that the movie doesn't totally sell it. I like that Buffy is never really on board with this guy like yeah. they kiss at the dance at the end but there's no chemistry there and then she's just like all right well i guess that happened i feel like the movie itself is not very invested in their romance no which thank god yeah i'm, I'm also not very invested <laughs> in their romance um and so rutger hauer is the villain in this and he does n- i I'm, i feel like he was just drunk as hell as lothos the vampire i have very little understanding of what his importance if any to the story is like mm-hmm. he could be anyone the real vampire <laughs> who i'm interested in is Wee herman yeah 
actually, yeah, he should have been the big bad of this film. Like, Rutger Hauer, he's, it's very cliched, sort of, uh, we're bound together, destiny, I'm a vampire, I hang out in coffins all day, and I show up in your dreams to harass you with teddy bears. And it gets to the end of the movie, and it's, okay, so we do get a cool scene where she torches his head with a can of hairspray. Uh, very good. But then it's cut the weirdest fight scene I have ever seen, where they're in the gym, and he pulls out a katana for incredible vampire reasons and he's just rutger howering all over the goddamn place um i am convinced he took this role for like 200 grand and a sandwich and he did it in a weekend um he he first of all his costume he looks like a party city dracula he does i'm a huge fan of his um opera cloak that clearly has poles inserted into each of the (laughs) the long hems of it so that he can hold it out perfectly straight. Yeah. Into it. It's it's a lot happening. Uh, and so, all right, so how do... So is this a good movie? Absolutely. This movie was excellent. It ruled. It didn't do a single one of the things that Joss Whedon wanted it to do, and thank the Lord God for that. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought it was fantastic. I did not think that it was at the level of, say, Scream. Sure. Um... I did think that it was better than 1990s It. Yeah, also featuring Seth Green. Um, now, the other thing about this movie that I think is really cool is that the horror beats are absolutely there. Like, the, like Rutger Hauer, I feel like if Rutger Hauer had been invested in this film, Lothos would have been a really cool character that would have been in any way memorable. Um, he absolutely did not care, and I kind of don't blame him. Because Lothos as a character is just stock vampire. Um, he's, he's got nothing interesting about him. And when it comes to the final fight scenes between him and Buffy, he doesn't really come across as that much of a big bad. It's just like, oh, yes, here again is a vampire. I do like that he highlights the fact that vampires are self-important and dramatic. Oh, yeah. Well, floating down from the ceiling. There, you don't have to do that at all. But you know what? Well, you, you go. You didn't need a fucking katana is what you didn't need, but... Shine on, you sexy diamond. You know? Um, the soundtrack rules also on this movie. True, I'm, true. I'm downloading it immediately. So, all right, so where on the list? I, okay, so I think it is better than it from 1990. Um, all right, here's the question. Do you think it is better or worse than Scream 2? I think it's better than Scream 2. I really? think it's just an inch better than Scream 2, and I'll tell you why, because okay. uh, that ending in Scream 2 just... It's a lot. The Buffy knows when to end. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Scream 2 is like, also Mickey, the film student who's been in this movie for exactly two scenes. Sure, for some reason. I mean, that he his presence there does make me appreciate Santa Clarita Diet even more, but... Yeah, right, because Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. Um... So I think I think it I think it's a notch above Scream too. Shit. All right. Uh, have you seen The Evil Dead? No. All right. Haunting of Hill House season one. Ooh, not as good as Haunting of Hill House season one. Agree. I would I would put it right smack on top of Scream two. Really. Right on top of Scream two, right below Evil Dead. That's. Yeah. That's my position. That checks out. I would say, I think Evil Dead is better than Buffy the Vampire Slayer because it pioneered a bunch of movie techniques that we still use now. 
where it was 100% Sam Raimi being like, I'm going to cover a sawhorse in duct tape and smear it with Vaseline and slide a camera along it because I don't have money for equipment. And I feel like it takes chances in the way that Buffy the Vampire Slayer sort of riffs on well-known things and does it very well, but I feel like it. Uh, Evil Dead leaves a bigger footprint on horror. But yeah, no, so it's, it's yeah, it is, it is very good. Uh, so coming in at our new number uh, 47? 46. 46 is uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 1992. Guys, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't listen to don't listen to Joss Whedon, who wants you to think that this movie is bad because Donald Sutherland hurt his feelings. Find this movie, watch it, make your friends watch it. Listen, you could have ended that sentence right there. Just don't listen to Joss Whedon. <laughs> Period. Space bar. Or double space. No, we don't do that in this house. Oh, we don't. We don't. We don't double space after get periods. The, get the fuck out of here! We don't. Shit. All right, that's right. So the uh, the the second movie we're talking about um, is a movie that I had not seen until I was a teenager. Uh, it's 1999's uh, The Blair Witch Project, which I'm noticing a theme here between uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Blair Witch Project, which also uh, I've noticed uh, a motif with uh, the movies that we've chosen. Both movies about you know strong women. Sure. Uh, community, mm-hmm. social uh, contracts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what? What? What do we owe one another? Right. Being in the woods. Well, cemetery, I guess. No, there's a scene in the woods in Buffy. Oh yeah, there's the yeah. All right. Oh yeah, yeah where where Pike is driving and he's got the yeah vampire. That's the point for the crossover fic. Right there. That's yeah. So the Blair Witch Project. Um, you had not. Uh, so you had seen it what as a kid? Yeah, yeah, I watched this movie as a kid when I was uh, much too young to mm-hmm. be watching it, and it scared the fuckwit out of me. Yeah. Uh, and that is still true today. I watched it again for this podcast, and it is exactly as scary as I remember. I would like to state for the record that that movie is fucking scary. That is it's a scary. scary movie, and what it does is it makes you feel scare. It, it, it is scare. It is extremely scare. Makes you feel a scare. It, man, there's some kind of magic on this movie, honestly. Like, I don't know what it is about, because I love this movie. Like, I think, the, I, I get weirdly defensive of The Blair Witch Project, because I feel like uh, where we are in 2018, after many bad found footage movies, and sort of, there was, because, and it makes sense that there's been a glut of found footage, because if you're like an indie production company, and you've got, like, two wooden nickels to rub together. You make a found footage movie because it's what you can do. And I think the problem is that like, because of course with the Blair Witch Project, it was like, what, $10,000 to make? And they made millions on it? And that's in 1999 money? Right, which is, I assume, like billions of dollars. Yeah, I actually, I have my conversion calculator right here. Mm -hmm. And I can see that what this says is that they made it for one farthing in 1999 money. Okay, That's what $10,000 today was a farthing would be then. Um, I mean, I think that one of the reasons this movie is beautiful is because it's completely unpolished found footage i think that a lot of the other found footage stuff that i've seen it still has a little shine on it right i mean they they want to make it look nice for the previews right blair witch project it i could barely maintain my sense of disbelief while watching and that's only because you were in my ear reminding me that it's not real yeah well and also because yeah i mean you're exactly right like a lot of found footage i think they want to have it both ways where it's like found footage but also it looks like it was shot on digital 
and it looks very like you can clearly see everything that's going on god yeah this would not have worked as well in the age of digital because so many of the effects are frightening because you don't get to see the thing clearly and your brain has to fill it in which forces you to insert yourself into the scenario even more exactly and especially with inserting you into the scenario um I, there's a line in this movie that I feel like I go back to a lot, which is like the heart and soul of why this movie is scary and why so many things like this are scary, which is when uh, Heather says it's really hard to get lost in America these days and harder to stay lost. And that is such a terrifying, like it's a throwaway line technically. And like so much of the, like most of the dialogue in this is ad-libbed by the actors who the, apparently the crew uh, the rest of the camera crew was like a few hundred yards away from them at any given time, but mostly like they would put stuff outside the tent and kind of just let them go. I feel like that line is so crucial because, especially uh, Blair Witch 2016, all of their phones lose service really quickly and die. And I think it's legitimately terrifying to imagine that, you know, in 1999, you could just wander into the woods in Maryland and not come out again. Yeah, I think this movie plays on the scariest thing that the human mind can truly conceive of because, you know, we, it's really hard for most people to conceive of their own death. Mm -hmm. You can think about it and get scared of it, but it's hard to really internalize that terror. But the fear of being lost and alone is immense. And this movie plays on that a lot with first they're together and they know where they are. Then they lose knowing where they are then they lose any hope of knowing where they are mm -hmm. and then they start having a fear of being alone where they keep yeah. saying we've got to stick together we've got to help each other one of them disappears and then that plants the concept that they can disappear and so what happens if the other one disappears and then you're alone and lost oh yeah which then factors into the ending where that's a truly oh shit i hadn't even thought about that that the ending with him in the corner looking away from her because that's how the witch kills people is, you know, she puts one kid in the corner, kills the other kid, and then comes back to the kid she's put in the corner that like, uh, what's his name? Mike, mm -hmm. uh, Mike facing into the corner and not pay and not looking at her and then her dying. That's such a great execution of the fear of isolation. Absolutely. And because not having that support network. They're both isolated. She's isolated because he won't acknowledge that she's there, which is, you know, socially terrifying anyway, but especially when you're in a situation when it's it should be an animal instinct for the other person to acknowledge that you're there. Mm -hmm. um, and he's alone because he can't acknowledge that she's there for whatever reason. However, he's been motivated to do this. Right. He has to pretend that he is alone and doesn't see or hear what's happening. Yeah. And also with the pretending and sort of like providing a buffer between you and what's happening... Um, so the fact that Heather, this is such a great justification of why Heather is still carrying the camera around during this, because they get lost in the woods while fil filming this documentary in Burkittsville, Maryland about the Blair Witch, and then they get lost in the woods, and she's still carrying the camera around, and the other characters are like, dude, why are you still holding that camera and filming this? And then they go into it in the movie where she's like, look, this is all I have left right now is being able to make this into a movie like that the camera provides a buffer between you and the thing that the camera is looking at so you're able to create a narrative and you're able to create distance between you and the fact that you know you're gonna die in the woods 
I think this isn't in the script, but I think that there are two other reasons why she keeps filming um, <laughs> that are in the direction and the acting. I think one of those reasons is that she needs there to have been a reason that they went through all this. And you see a little bit of that when she says, I'm going to keep filming these conversations, even though we're arguing because we're all going to look back and laugh at it someday. Right. She has to believe that there's a purpose to everything that's happening to them. And I think the other thing, and this is maybe me pulling this out of my ass, like magician scarves. <laughs> um, she records an apology to all their parents. Mm-hmm. Which tells me that she believes, at the very least at that point, and I think sooner, that someday this will be found footage of them. That someday all these videos will get found and then people will put it all together and understand what happened. And what I think is that she starts to, on some level, believe that all these things are going to be found footage mm -hmm. much sooner than she records that apology. I think at some point she's recording all of them going through all these emotions and all this fear mm -hmm. so that when her mom and dad see that apology, they'll know that she tried her best to get everyone back, even though there was clearly no hope of doing it. Fuck. Well, and I mean, as, with this movie, the fact that she's the one who takes responsibility for getting everybody into the woods in the first place and then not admitting that she'd gotten lost and... That's some captain shit mm. that makes me feel all kinds of ways about the way that this film is on a pretty close-to-the-surface level mm -hmm. about the impossibility of... Um, impossibility is the wrong word. It feels impossible sometimes to be a woman in a position of leadership over men. Right. So why is that in the movie? Um, I mean, from the very top, right? She says, I know where we're going. Whether she does or not, both these dudes are like, you don't know where we're going. We're going to look at the map. We're going to tell you you're wrong. Even though Mike doesn't know how to read a fucking map. <laughs> and there's no room for acknowledgement of, oh, actually, all of our packs are heavier than we planned for. None of us have gone backpacking into the deep woods before. We didn't realize that we moved slower than we planned. Or we're all disoriented. Right. There's no room for it. It's just, you know what? Actually, you're an incapable leader, so we're all going to try and lead. And then, of course, Mike throws their map into the creek because he thinks he can't read the map. And there's no way that she is more competent than he is. Therefore, the map is useless. Right. So he just makes that call because, like, well, if I can't read it, then I know she can't read it. Right. And then she ends up taking full responsibility for everything that happened to them, even though there's an awful lot of responsibility to be taken on all parts. Yeah. And so you feel like if she had kept the map, they might have had a better chance of getting out? Yeah, I think if she had kept the map and if they had all gotten to that hopeless collaborative point before the map was lost. There's yeah. a, a point in this movie where they all decide, okay, yeah, we do need to work together. And if they'd had the map at that point, maybe they would have been able to come together with map and compass and figure some shit out. On the other hand... Maybe they never would have gotten out at all because clearly the Blair Witch was ready to eat them by then. Right. And so, so most of this movie is three young kids in the woods yelling at each other. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I honestly, the yelling is the most stressful part of this movie. Absolutely. I, I, we were eating uh, ramen right. while we were watching this and I had to stop eating at the point at which, uh... Josh is screaming at Heather and has the camera in her face and she's saying, please stop yelling at me. Please stop yelling at me. Could not handle that. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's terrifying. Um, it's 
psychological torture. And I think it is the most on-screen gore that mm. we get in this film. It's it's the part that made me curl my toes the most, I think. Yeah. Deeply uncomfortable. I I almost got up and walked out of the room because it's so cruel and sustained mm-hmm. and and it hurts to see. Well, and also because so much of these emotions are real for these people, like for these actors, they had all been out in the woods. They're all doing this like they really were at each other's throats for a lot of this shoot because they wanted because the filmmakers wanted to maintain that to keep tension. It worked. It is fucking gruesome to watch. I I think especially that bit. I think there's also some element of the fact that he's holding the camera and looking at her with the camera and filming her as she's being berated that really fucked me up. Mm-hmm. Like, because she, you know, he's, like, taken, the, like, one of the few powers she has, which is the ability to shape the narrative, to hold the camera, to be the, like, first person. And then she can't even have that as a buffer between her and the fucking verbal abuse. It's like she was walking with a cane when he took her away and started hitting her with it. Exactly. Um, and, I mean, hearing Mike in the background asking for this to stop. Right. Also, it's it's horrifying to behold, and also it's incredibly adept foreshadowing for what's going to happen later when Josh is going to disappear and turn into a yelling weapon that's being used to hurt these two people, mm-hmm. um, you know, toward toward the third act of the movie, right. Josh has disappeared, and you keep hearing his voice in the night yelling for help, you know, agonized screams, and they right. have to decide if they're going to leave the tent to go try and find him in the dark in the woods or not. Or to just, like, burrow down and wait out the night. Yeah. Yeah, this movie is scary as fuck. It, yeah. It... It's a lot. It destroyed me when I was a, a wee lad, and it destroyed me tonight. Yeah, and I, I think, um, now, if you want to demystify this, you should watch uh, Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2, which features an edgy Wiccan, it feature it's um, an extremely, think of, like, early 2000s butt rock new metal, and if you could make that into a horror movie, it would be Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2. Um, but yeah, like, this movie, I, I get really ornery when people shit on it, because I think we're sitting pretty in 2018 looking back on a seminal found footage movie, and being like, man, it's boring, like, it doesn't even, nothing even scary happens. Oh, and that's some bullshit, there is nothing boring about this movie, it is disorienting, um, it, god, it gives you such a deep gut sense of disorientation. Yeah. It, it draws you in, it's cinematic in these really identifiable ways where Mm -hmm. it's like oh here's someone who has a camera who's filming this ostensibly for their documentary who is just trying to get a shot of something pretty right kind of failing um it's poignant it's very human it's vulnerable and uh, it scared the shit out of me i have soiled every surface in this house at this point <laughs> it's true because it, of this movie yeah it looks like a septic tank in here i honestly i it has to be weird to be heather and pro- like because she hasn't been in anything else after this really like none of the No, because actors... she died in that basement right because she died in that basement along with uh, josh and mike 
Um, that has to be so weird to be primarily famous when people think of you, they think of looking up your nose and seeing your snot and your tears and your eyes looking like, man, I don't, uh, when I was a kid, I thought this was real. Like my mom wouldn't let me watch it. So I, um, would like go to the library to, um, you know, look up on, uh, uh Lycos or, uh, oh, Ask Jeeves, Ask Jeeves or, uh, Excite, mm-hmm. you know, Hotbot. Uh, and I would look up Blair Witch stuff because I was convinced that, like, no, this must have really happened. And apparently in Burkittsville, Maryland, they really hate this movie. <laughs> oh, God, I can't even imagine. Oh, fuck. Apparently the tourists are basically like me, and they are terrible. And it, no one should... Yeah, so... I also can't handle it when people clown on Blair Witch because it traumatized me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people would make Blair Witch Project jokes, and I... I still, I will laugh a little bit, but inside, this very, like, like curled up part of me is like, no, it's scary, though. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's scary. Well, and it's like, honestly, upon rewatching it, I was marveling at how much they did with so little. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, uh, I think you observed this, that it was just, what is there a lot of in the woods, and how do we make it scary? Right. And it's like little piles of rocks. Well... Okay, this Actually, is... I think it was Christina that pointed that out. Oh, that sounds like something smart that you Yeah, take. she's real smart. This is an interesting thing. All of the frightening things in the woods are where structure has been applied to things that are always in the woods. Oh. Structure is being applied to rocks, and structure is being applied to sticks. To make those little men. Yeah, which, oh man, those are even scarier than I remember. Yep. Um, you had a point about this movie referring to the... Uh, disorientation of white people who think they've tamed the wilderness mm-hmm. walking into the American forest. Yeah. That I think I think that's a really good point, especially in connection with finding evidence that someone else is living out here and is better at taming this wilderness than you are. Yeah. Well, and especially because the, the locals know fucking well enough to stay away from... Uh, the woods and where the Blair Witch, like, especially, like, there's a bit, man, I love, uh, this lady talking about, uh, the Blair Witch and she's, like, holding her small child and the kid is in real life being like, stop it, stop it, stop it, and, like, putting her hand over her mom's mouth and getting really upset that she's talking about a witch. And the lady, like, there's a bit where, you know, Heather asks, do you believe in the Blair Witch? She's like, no, but I believe in her enough not to go out there. (laughs) Which is also how I feel about, like, Ouija boards. Oh, yeah, don't, it doesn't matter if you believe in demons or not. No. Just don't read the Latin. They believe in you. Yeah, yeah, don't don't read Latin in front of the books. Yeah. To quote, again, Buffy the Vampire. God damn it, I can never get away from it. No, it's going to follow you around through the woods no matter what you do. And leave bundles of teeth and blood and sticks. I That shot of the bundle of sticks that contains some piece of Josh. Yeah. Um, Bitso Josh. So... If you haven't seen this, there's a scene where um, Heather and Mike come out of their tent in the morning and there is a bundle of sticks outside and it's tied up with scraps of flannel that are torn very clearly from the shirt that Josh was wearing when he was last seen. Mm -hmm. And Heather opens the bundle up and inside is this another bundle of that flannel and she opens that up and inside of that, it's like some bloody piece of thing and some hair and it's 
very difficult to see because the film quality is not super high. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting there straining to see, like, what is that? But you don't want to know. No. But also you do want to know. It's like a dirtbag sampler, really. It's like, listen, we got some skin, we got some hair, we got some flannel, we got some blood. It's so horrifying. Yeah. Because you can't see the details of what has been taken out of him, but you can see and your monkey brain knows, oh, those are pieces of a man. Yeah, th those are those are those are dude parts. Well, yeah. and and also because I and and this is a thing I think we've talked about on this podcast that like I don't want to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in pristine high def. I, for a movie like that, I want to watch it on scratchy VHS because especially for a movie like this, if you, like watching uh, the Blair Witch Project in HD would make it a worse movie. Absolutely. No, you having the graininess, being unable to see things clearly, it's part of the disorientation of memory that mm -hmm. makes this feel like a thing that happened to you. Well, and it's the thing that makes you so tense and so scared during it is that you're looking at every fluctuation in video quality and going oh fuck what is that like you're you're looking like when they're walking through the woods and it's dark and the camera is just kind of picking up little bits of light and little little things because it's low quality film you're looking at every shadow and every everything that kind of moves and going oh fuck is that the fucking witch so this is a thing that i talk about often um fascist film fascist uh, film style and fascist cinematography. Mm -hmm. This thing where art that is fascist is art that tells you how to feel about it. If right. you think of Forrest Gump, for instance, that movie is super fascist. Like, even when you take away the weird nationalism, like, bland fucking go America thing. Right. It tells you how to feel about everything. Every swell of music, every camera shot, it's all telling you exactly where to look and exactly how to feel about what you see. Yeah. Blair Witch Project does none of that. It doesn't tell you how to feel about anything. You just feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Blair Witch is Antifa. <laughs> Wait, do you mean the movie is Antifa or the Blair Witch herself? Oh, both. I oh, want both. her okay. on our side. Oh, Are yo. you shitting me? Yeah, no. I, I feel like she wouldn't collaborate with the cops. Like, mm -mm. I, I feel like... Uh... No, yeah. absolutely not. So the Blair Witch is Antifa. Yeah, I think B. Takeshi uh, has... A, I, I think he uh, talks about fascist cinema and about, uh, about how apparently American cinema, we are really bad about fascist filmmaking. And now, the thing is, I say that like I don't love Steven Spielberg. Um, Steven Spielberg, I think, absolutely makes um, movies that follow fascist filmmaking techniques where it's like the john williams score is telling me what emotion to feel he is leading my eyes around to look at what he wants me to be looking at listen we all love being told what to feel oh sure it's it's so much simpler that way oh my god oh but i feel like you know you can enjoy jurassic park and also the blair witch project because i feel like fundamentally um you know if you made et with like blair witch style uh, open-endedness it would be a fucking weird mishmash where the way it is now, it's a perfect cheeseburger. I did you just describe Cloverfield? Fuck me, yeah. Blair Witch E.T. Blair Witch E.T. I really like Cloverfield, but it's kind of a weird mishmash. Kind of a weird mishmash, yeah. It's found footage, but also it's aliens. I think. I mean, calling something fascist filmmaking it is insulting. Mm -hmm. At the same time. Being told what to feel by your media is comforting. It's soothing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a thing in pro wrestling, right? Yeah. Pro wrestling tells you exactly what to feel 
in big neon letters. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's part of your enjoyment of the thing is that you are taking a load off your own emotional processing. Yeah. Non-fascist art is engaging, Mm -hmm. which is not restful. Yeah. Well, because in wrestling, there's a clear, like, winner-loser binary. There's storytelling. There's conventions you have to use. Like, you can can do variations within that. Like, uh, it's sort of like making an ashtray in, like, metal shop where it's, like, put three grooves in the middle of it and just call it an ashtray. Um, where, you know, it can follow those beats and it can deviate from them and it's notable when it deviates from those beats in a wrestling match or in a Steven Spielberg movie. But a thing like Blair Witch Project is just so... I think that's why the Blair Witch... That's why Blair Witch 2 doesn't work is because they tried doing it as a motion picture and really what I'm saying is that I'm going to make you watch Blair Witch 2 with me at some point to help you get over... (laughs) How traumatized I am by Blair Witch. Yeah, correct. I think uh, in pro wrestling and in Spielberg and in a lot of American cinema, you can see direct roots to Commedia dell'arte. Yeah. And that's just not there with Blair Witch. It's like language that has Latinate roots versus language that has Scandinavian roots. You you know that both are language and they can both communicate the same ideas, Mm -hmm. but they're coming from completely different places. I think that the found footage medium does an incredible job of giving a lot of room for different reactions from the audience which is why it's legitimate if fucking stupid and wrong for people to say nothing happens in this movie oh yeah it's ridiculous also people are like but you don't even see the witch and it's like that would be so much less scary you doofus oh man getting to see what the thing is that's fucking with these kids would wreck this movie. Yeah, because then we would all be clowning on... Like, it would become a meme. We, well, would, we, would, have, we would have been memeing the Blair Witch. The thing is, this uh, this movie leaves room for the kids to have been right early on when they said, this is locals fucking with us. Yeah, and that's... Like, there's space for that, even. And is that not also just as scary? Yeah, that there there are people out in the woods with you trying to scare you. Who have maintained this house that has bloody handprints of children all over the walls. Fuck. And who are luring you into that house for the purposes of killing you in part to maintain the myth of the Blair Witch. Yeah, like you're not going to die going, at least it's not a real witch. Yeah. Like, fuck me, dude. Yeah, I, this, um, I love this movie very much. I think uh, a couple, a few years ago, so you know how I tend to tweet spicy? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Bad um, takes. Bad takes all, all uh, over the place. International House of Bad Takes. I had logged on to Twitter to um, shit-talk found footage films because I think I had just watched... Uh, no, 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 no. This was on Tumblr. This is when I still posted on Tumblr. Lord, uh, the battle I, days. Yeah, back in the battle days. And I... R.I.P. and peace Tumblr. Rip and peace. Uh, I, and I had posted that, like, found footage films fucking suck. They're bad. Um, the, the only good ones are, like, the Poughkeepsie tapes and, like, Blair Witch, and that's it. That is almost as bad a take as when you told me that Love's Labor's Lost was the best Shakespeare play. <laughs> I didn't say it was the best one. I think I was just trying to upset you. Um. It worked. It did. Um, but, so, I posted that wild bullshit, and, um, th- uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Michelle Arf, um, she is a Rise of the Common Woodpile on Tumblr, completely wrecked my shit with, like, Actually, it's the most vibrant genre of horror currently going, and it's doing things that no other horror subgenre are doing. There are, I can name two dozen amazing found footage films off the top of my head. You are wrong. And then me immediately reading that. And you know that uh, immediate knee-jerk sort of I want to defend myself thing that we all have? Didn't get it. I just saw that and was like, 
Oh, I was popping off at the mouth. Like this is, yeah. I was, I was just being dumb for the sake of being dumb. And I, I, so found footage horror is fucking great. And I think there is found footage horror, but it's also Sturgeon's law with 90% of it is crap, but 90% of everything is crap. Like that's not a judgment on found footage horror. It's that like when, when you are living that ghoul life, you're watching a lot of bad horror movies. I mean, I, I am not as much of a horror aficionado as. Aficionado. Uh, what was that I don't voice? Know. It's you want to take that out back and shoot it? I certainly do. Um, I'm I'm not as much of a horror aficionado as you are. There we go. But I am most scared by found footage when it's done well. Yeah. I'm more scared by that than I am by like motion picture horror mm-hmm. i think because motion picture horror i can suspend my dis or i can unsuspend my disbelief and get involved in what the craft is and like ooh, i'm gonna watch the costuming and you know the special effects and stuff like that mm-hmm. good found footage like blair witch there's nowhere for the viewer to hide it yeah. is exactly what it is there's no visual in the moment analysis for you to hide behind. Mm-hmm. The only thing that you have is what the shitty, like faux shitty camera work is giving to you. Yeah. And you cannot stop your brain from filling in the rest. Um, so it involves you in a way that you cannot help but engage with. You can't escape. Yeah. I mean, I, I had every intention when we started watching this of not watching the last scene because I remember as a kid... Uh, the last scene being the thing that really stuck with me and scared me so bad that I would not climb the ladder into my bunk bed for two weeks. That's because it's fucking terrifying. And so I was I was not going to watch. I was going to be like, hey, let's pause the movie, and then I'm going to go into the other room and pet Tinkerbell, and you're going to watch the last part of the movie, and then mm-hmm. I'll go on the podcast and pretend like I watched it. Right. I couldn't not watch it because of the way that the the format involved me and my brain in this story, I had to watch them try to find Josh because I couldn't remember if they actually found him or not. Right. And I couldn't remember exactly what happened leading up to the scene in the movie, I think because my little kid brain just overwrote it with general trauma. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I couldn't breathe or eat or get up off the couch because while they're running through the house because you had to see this through to its conclusion and that's the format that is all the format if this was a motion picture and i was watching someone run down a hallway Mm -hmm. i would be like "Mm, okay yeah this is the part where i leave even if it were like masterfully shot and well scored and well acted it would still be like okay well i'm gonna you know Mm -hmm. I, i i know it's coming in this motion picture and I can just read it on Wikipedia. Yeah, exactly. And you can watch it, and we'll talk about it, and I basically know what happens, so we can do that. Right, I could picture the shot in my head. There is not a single shot in the Blair Witch Project that I could have pictured in my head. No, actually, when I try to picture any any scene from the Blair Witch Project, it's all a big 404. Like, I can picture that last shot, and that's pretty much it. I can picture that last shot, and I can picture the shot where she is apologizing to their moms and dads. Right. Iconic. But most of it, I can't... And I couldn't have storyboarded it, right? If you described to me, oh, well, there's a scene where they're trying to all cross the the creek over this log, but they have these big backpacks, so it's hard. It's like the Oregon Trail, and they're trying to ford the river. I could not sketch a storyboard of that for you the same way that I could. If this was a Spielberg film, it would be a piece of fucking cake for me to, you know, grab, like, 
four or five boxes and be like, all right, shot one looks like this, shot two looks like this, shot three looks like this. Right. Um, It is surprising and disorienting and unsettling. And because of the format, it's hard to predict, Mm -hmm. which makes it scarier. Yeah, everything feels like a fresh revelation when it happens in the movie. It doesn't feel like a story beat. You just feel like sort of, oh, fuck, what's happening? Yeah. And you're like adjusting. Like your eyes as the viewer are adjusting to what you're looking at in real time just as the camera is focusing on it. Absolutely. Like you, yeah, it's... So all this to say, it real good. I like it a lot. It is scare. It uh-huh. did me a frighten. It did you. It did you the big frighten. I um. I'm afeard. It's it's a lot. So, all right. Let's scroll up the list. Uh, you have seen a Nightmare on Elm Street three Dream Warriors. Do you think this is better or worse than that? Better. Better. Uh, I don't mean to do your fave dirty, but no. I, I listen. It's it's my fave. I know it's not the best, but it's my fave. I think it's better than Hocus Pocus. Do you think it's better than Fright Night 2011? Ooh, not quite. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's better than Carrie. Okay. Why do you think it's uh, not as good as Fright Night 2011? I think Fright Night 2011... um, There's more to think about on, like, there's a lot of raw, interesting stuff going on Mm -hmm. with uh, Blair Witch. Right. Fright Night 2011 is so intricately braided. It has all these beautiful themes and details and shots that are differently haunting. And it's a little bit less about, oh, God, I'm so fucking scared. I just want (laughs) to die. And a little bit more about relationships and trauma and abuse dynamics Mm -hmm. in a way that I find more interesting in the long term well like you can you can sort of more academically appreciate those things in the way that Blair Witch Project is just terrifying you in that moment yeah like later on you can go oh this movie is about the uh, fundamental lack of confidence in female leadership that men have it's about um, getting lost in the in uh, the wilderness in America like you can you can do all of that after the fact or maybe even while doing it but you're still going like okay mental note for later this movie is about this thing but right now I am shitting myself because yeah. they are running through the woods and it's scary. Yep. Well, there you go. All right. So coming in at our new number 20, uh, above Carrie, but below... Wait, well, you said... Number 21. 21, excuse me. Uh, above Carrie, but below Fright Night, uh, 2011, uh, is The Blair Witch Project from 1999. Sarah, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> We will do the same thing probably a few weeks from now. Um, where uh, where can our listeners find you online if they have not already? Find me on Twitter at Gailey Frey. That's G-A-I-L-E-Y-F-R-E-Y. Well, I've just had a couple of pieces of short fiction come out in Fireside Fiction and the Atlantic. And uh, this upcoming week, that's going to be the week of the 16th, I am going to be having some nonfiction coming out with BarnesandNoble.com. I'm doing a ranking a power ranking of outerwear in science fiction fantasy literature and a couple of pieces with tour.com hell yeah they should check out it's extremely good um we can uh, so rank and vile can be found on twitter uh constantly and abidingly shit posting at rank and vile cast uh we are on tumblr at just rank and vile and on instagram at just rank and vile if you uh, are a listener of the show and there's a sh- uh, there's a movie that you want us to talk about like you are just sitting at home grinding your teeth and wondering when we're going to talk about Witchcraft 8, 
by the way, there are, I think, 14 witchcraft movies, um, you're going to want to send that request either to rankinvilecasts at gmail.com or uh, put it in our ask box on Tumblr at justrankinvile. We are on Letterboxd at justrankinvile. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Hey, folks, it's your buddy Ryan talking. If you like the show and you like what we do, uh, consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes because it'll help other people also listen to us um, rag on Joss Whedon and call him a son of a bitch. Uh, but yeah, that's about all I got. You got anything else? That's it. Later, folks. Bye.